So, for those of you who are visitors this morning, welcome. We're into a series looking at healing. And one of the things that we, uh, we need to get used to with looking at healing is that we, we sung a lot of songs this morning about miracles. And believe me, when you're speaking on a morning when everybody's singing songs about miracles, you're just thinking, great, this is raising the expectation. So, so thanks. But in all seriousness, we sing, a, we sing about God. We sing about God in his reality and his beauty and truth and perfection. And just because what we see in our experience of that does not match up with what we sing about, it does not invalidate the things that we're singing. In the same way that when we read the Bible and we don't see the things that we're reading about, there's two ways that we can react. We can either go, oh, well, that's not going to happen for me, or that's not going to happen in Worcester, or that's not going to happen in City Church. Um, Or we can go, that happened then, it can happen again. That's why we have testimonies when something happens. doesn't matter how insignificant it seems to you. It is your story of what God's been doing in your life. And this morning, there'll be more testimonies. There'll be more things that God does in people's lives. And next week, uh, whoever's speaking, I know it's not me because I'm not here. Um, So even if they do forget, it's going to have to be somebody else. Uh, But... Remember your story. Come up and tell your story because telling your story does two things. It rehearses your story and just gives glory to to God for doing that. And it also opens up the opportunity for other people to say, well, he healed that guy. Um, I've got knees. He can heal mine. Okay, Uh, we're going to read from Luke chapter 13, then chapter 14, if you want to follow. When is it okay to do good? When is it okay to do good? Seems like a daft question, but uh, we're going to look at this in these two passages. Uh, Luke chapter 13, verse 10. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was teaching in a synagogue, he saw a woman who'd been crippled by an evil spirit. She'd been bent double for 18 years and was unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Dear woman, you are healed of your sickness. Then he touched her, and instantly she could stand straight. And how she praised God. Well, I'm not surprised. You would do, wouldn't you? But the leader in charge of the synagogue was indignant that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. There are six days of the week for working, he said to the crowd. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath. But the Lord replied, And this is where Jesus was really subtle, you know, good at managing people. You hypocrites. Each of you works on the Sabbath day. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey from its stall on the Sabbath and lead it out for water? This dear woman, a daughter of Abraham, has been held in bondage by Satan for 18 years. Isn't it right that she be released even on the Sabbath? That shamed his enemies, but all the people rejoiced at the wonderful things he did. Chapter 14, verse 1. One Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees, and the people were watching him closely. There was a man there whose arms and legs were swollen. Uh, Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in religious law, is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? 
When they refused to answer, Jesus touched the sick man and healed him and sent him away. Then he turned to them and said, Which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? If your son or your cow falls into a pit, and I imagine there's a bit of a distinction between those two. Um, If your son or your cow falls into a pit, don't you rush to get him out? Again, they could not answer. So, two stories. Here's a sensible question. Why do we have two such similar healings so close together? Now, we don't know that they happened so close together time-wise because the Gospels aren't written in linear time, as I'm sure you appreciate. But Luke chose to put these together. The other thing to note is the context. If you read around them, you'll see that it's the middle of a passage in Luke's Gospel when Jesus is challenging religious hypocrisy and hard-heartedness. He's challenging those things. He's pointing it out to them. This is the only miracle in that section. So we've got quite a section of teaching beforehand, then the miracle, then another bit of teaching, and then this miracle, and then some more teaching. So the, the whole context in which these stories are being told is one of challenging their entrenched religious attitudes. And in particular, is it okay to do good stuff on the Sabbath? on the day that was set aside for resting from labor in order to focus on God, in order to say God is our source of hope and strength and wealth and everything else, is it okay to do good? Clearly, those who had authority within the religious structure were saying, no, it's not. Jesus clearly was saying something different. That's not the context in which we live now, but there are things to be learned from this. Now, you remember last week, I I started off, well, those of you who were here will remember this, I started off with a series of statements which were not, they're not church policy. Let me reiterate that. This is not something that we as a group of leaders or anybody else has sat around and decided, this is what we think, this is what I think, Um, and I want to be really clear about that. So you are, you are free to, to look at them, to think about them, to disagree with them. But as I ended up speaking again, I thought, okay, so what should I do here, Father? And, and I thought, I want to try and illustrate some of these things from the, uh, the story that we're looking at. First thing, it's the nature of God to renew, restore, and repair It's not the nature of God to inflict or accept disease, disability, and disorder. Now, contrast that against what the religious leaders are saying about Sabbath observance. Sabbath was a good thing. Sabbath was God's idea. It wasn't the idea of of some um, legalistic group of people. It was God's idea. It's in Scripture. It's in Exodus. Look it up. I'm sure many of you have read it. And it was there so that uh, originally it was when the nation were walking around the the wilderness and they were getting manna arriving every day. So every morning they'd get up and there was a miraculous supply of food. But it didn't keep for more than one day. It lasted for one day, except the day before the Sabbath when they were told to go out and, and get two amounts. And miraculously, 
this food survived two days in those desert conditions. And the point of the Sabbath was so that the people were reminded that God is their source of everything. And people being what we are, uh, we need that kind of reminder, don't we? Yes, we do. But here's Jesus, who is, of course, God on the earth, and he's saying, uh, so should we do good things on the Sabbath? I know the answer seems obvious, but just stay with me, will you? Okay, Because I can hear people going, yeah, yeah, of course we should. Okay, but just stay with me. I think I know where I'm going. Right, there are two stories. They're quite close together. They're quite similar. Um, so we're just going to do a kind of compare and contrast. So, differences. Luke 13 is a woman. That's good news for at least half of us, yes? Thank you. She's in the synagogue. Right, she's gone to the synagogue for her normal Sabbath observance. Um, how long has she been bound? 18 years. Um, it's likely if she was in the synagogue this Sabbath, she'd been in the synagogue many other Sabbaths beforehand. And my guess is she'd been there on other days as well. She didn't go there looking for healing. I don't think she went there expecting healing. She just went there because she was a righteous lady and she went to do what righteous people do. But Jesus saw her and something caught his attention and we will we will look at that later she was crippled by an evil spirit there are some illnesses which are caused by spiritual forces there's no hard and fast rule and it's not something i feel hugely qualified to talk about just know that it's a fact uh, it's still a fact uh, it doesn't mean that you can always say, well, this is this and this is that. I think that would be oversimplistic and basically uh, wrong. But we have to acknowledge the existence of forces that seek to impede us in a whole variety of ways. And if they have an opportunity to be given authority in our lives through choices we make or things that we become involved in, not necessarily through faults of our own. Sometimes it can be other things that, that have an influence here. And this is a huge area with a whole load of controversy applied to it. And I'm trying not to avoid the area without trying to sound as though I know a lot about it. But I just think it's still true. Okay? So that doesn't mean... What, what tends to happen if you say something like this is that every time afterwards people are praying, then they're throwing out this spirit and throwing out that spirit. And I think, you know, if you're praying for somebody, you've just got to go with what you feel in the end. You know, if you're praying for somebody and you feel the Lord say, send them to the doctor, then send them to the doctor. If you're praying for somebody and the Lord says, you need to release them from this, then, then do that. And it, if neither of those work, well, okay, so what? You tried, you know, and, and we're on a learning curve. So let's not get too uptight about the whole thing. Agreed? Thanks. The second one was a man. There's a difference. There's a woman in the first one. There was a man in the second one. Jesus came across the man... Jesus came across the man. So Jesus was on his way somewhere. It was on the Sabbath. And my guess is because he was going to a Pharisee's house that it wasn't a great distance because that was covered within the Sabbath floor. But there were lots of people around and Jesus saw this guy. And in the older versions, it would be what they called dropsy, which these days I believe is edema. It's basically um, too much fluid in the body and it's not escaping. Um, and there was no cure for it. 
To desire his healing touch is to desire his presence with us. When he's present with us, his healing will be evident. Jesus was present in these two places and his healing was evident. Now, neither of these people actually came to him seeking out healing. Jesus initiated both of these, but neither of them argued. Okay, neither of them sat in their, uh, on their bench or, or stayed where they were or whatever it was and just said, no, I'm all right, thanks, Jesus. I'm okay. I got it. And... and you know, that's so unlike us at times. Uh, often you used to say, is there anybody who would like prayer? And everyone's sitting there going, yep, no, I'm all right. I've got this covered, Jesus. A bit, like, uh, a bit like Tom Cruise, you know. i got it. I can handle it. You know, it's all under control. I don't need God's help. These people did. They knew it. They were, they were not in a position where they could get help in any other way. And so they responded. Oh, and don't forget, Jesus is, is always with us. Isn't that right? We believe that, don't we? Good. Great. I'm just checking. Right, some more differences. In the first story, Jesus heals the lady first, and then there is a reaction from the synagogue leader, which Jesus challenges. So Jesus goes into the building, and that'd be quite a small building, I think probably smaller than, than this hall. There'd be... Um, Benches all around, and um, I can't, you know, I'm not an expert by any means, so I can't imagine exactly the scenario. But Jesus is there, he sees the woman, he calls the woman forward, he heals the woman instantly, and then the synagogue leader says, I'm not having that in my synagogue on the Sabbath day. Presumably he'd have been fine about it if it had been a Wednesday. Wednesday, great, come in, get healed. But my guess is this woman had been going to the synagogue for a long time. Had she been healed? No. Had the synagogue leader got... Does he give me any inclination at all that he would have been happy to pray for her and see her healed? No. But he does talk about healing. This synagogue leader, presumably in some kind of academic way, believes in healing. Because he said, come another day and be healed. Wouldn't it have been great if she said, great, I'll be back tomorrow. What time would you like? <laughs> Can you imagine the conversation? Ah, oh, well, I'm... I'm very busy, and I've got lots of things to do, and, and so on. But it was the healing first, and then there was the, uh, the challenge. In the second one, Jesus, and I think this is the way Luke writes it. So just think about the structure of what he's writing here. First miracle, we've got healing, then challenge. Second miracle, or second healing, we've got a challenge first. So Jesus says... Um, is it okay if I heal this guy? Is, is this a good thing if I do this? This was quite common in the culture that religious teachers did this. They questioned each other and they tried to catch each other out. Thankfully, you're all far too polite to do that to me. Um, if anybody wants to stand up now and ask a question, that's fine. Security are alerted and uh, the door is over there. Uh, but they used to challenge each other all the time. And when people were challenged, they did not want to give a wrong answer. Just like in class. You know, those of you who are teachers, you know what it's like. You say, who knows the answer to this? And you know, all of them know the answer. And they go, yeah, arms folded. Now, if you talk teenagers like I did, they're just going to sit there. They are far too cool for school. And so they sit there and go. So, you know, as a teacher, there are ways around that and you can 
create a different kind of culture in your class. But Jesus didn't get an answer from these people. They were more bothered about how they looked than they were about whether this man was going to get any mercy shown to him. That's not good, is it? That's not good. Now, it's easy for us to look at this story and draw that conclusion. It's not so easy for us to look at ourselves and to say, could that be true in my life? Could that be true that I'm more concerned about the way I appear than seeing somebody healed? So, we'll have a... Excuse me. <coughs> we'll have a, an opportunity to pray later on. And I know that many of us will go through this kind of thought process. Oh dear, what if nothing happens? What am I going to look like if nothing happens? Is it going to build disappointment in this person? Well, the answer is it needn't. Is it going to make me look an idiot? Uh, the answer is possibly, but I wouldn't worry about it too much. Um, no, the answer is no, because actually you're, you're stepping out in compassion. In praying for somebody, what you're saying is, I want to see your situation resolved. I want to see whatever it is. And whether it's a physical thing or some other thing, I want to see your situation resolved, and I'd like to stand with you in faith. And I don't care how long I have to stand, I'm going to stand. So... Uh, just check the time. I'll tell this story really quickly. I was on a school trip once, and uh, some of you will, will know this. When my book's finished, it'll be in the book. You can all buy the book and, and read it, and then I'll get paid for you hearing the story. So I won't tell you the whole thing. But this lad broke his foot. Uh, let me tell you, it was entirely his fault. Okay? <laughs> I felt compassion for him because he was in the middle of a, of a school trip. It, it was a great trip. He'd raised the money. He'd worked hard to get it. But it was his fault. But, you know, he's a teenage boy. What do I expect? Um, and uh, so I confidently, and it was an atmosphere where I could do this, I confidently told the group, right, we're going to pray for him and get him healed. Now, probably two-thirds of this group got very little faith for that at all. I would say probably about half of them actually didn't really have a real relationship with Jesus. But because I was saying it, well, all right, we'll go along with it. And, and we did it, and it was great because nothing happened. Nothing happened at all. And I knew his foot was, was broken, I could tell that, and um, we couldn't take him to the hospital that night, so we sent him to the hospital the next day. And because he was flying back, he only had uh, half a cast put on his, on his foot. Um, but something had lodged in me that knew I could not let go. Not just because I wasn't looking great in front of the whole class, because Mr. Coyle said this was going to happen, and he prayed, and it didn't happen. But because I knew it wasn't right what was going on, and that God wanted to do something. And um, so we prayed for him again, and it was great, because nothing happened. Nothing at all. I even got, we were in Bulgaria, and we were in a Christian school there, I even got all the, the Bulgarian kids to pray, because they were younger, so their prayers would work better. And they all prayed, uh, and they even prayed in Bulgarian. Uh, but that didn't work either. So here I was, and, and he was... He was being great, you know, he wasn't complaining and he wasn't whinging about the whole thing. And actually he was getting quite a lot of attention, especially from the girls. So I thought he was probably quite enjoying it. But then another set of circumstances happened which changed. There'd been a bad atmosphere over something completely different. We resolved that atmosphere, we did something about that. And in the middle of that, 
one of the non-Christian guys, one of his friends, just put his hand on his shoulder and said, oh God, I'd really wish you'd sort his foot out. And, and he said, oh, do you know what? It feels, starts to feel a bit better. So the kids, and I had nothing to do with all this, which is, I think, why it worked. The kids took him over, these teenagers, they sat him down and they prayed for him on their own, unprompted. All these kids that had no faith in prayer, no faith in God at all, they were praying for him. There was one girl there uh, who, uh, she had something special and she was really going for it, this, this girl. I mean, she, she meant business with God. And, um, and she said, and we all agree in the name of Jesus, it's healed now. Now, of course, the kids didn't know what to do with that. So I was just kind of standing on the sidelines watching and I said, well, do you? Do you agree? And they all went kind of, oh, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, all right, yeah, yeah, we, we agree. And in that moment, I knew he was healed. Now, we, being very responsible and all those kind of teachery things, uh, I can see some of you looking at me going, what are you going to say here? I'm not going to say anything. It's all in the book. But uh, <laughs> basically, uh, we checked him out. He was healed. We, uh, we did what was necessary, and then he went off, and he was fine the rest of the time. Um, the strangest things happen, but there was persistence involved. When people don't get healed, persist. There's always a cost to our human nature when we inherit his divine nature. So advancement in healing is always contested. Always. Always. But there are some similarities. Yay! Thanks for your enthusiasm. Uh, one, firstly, the law did not prevent healing on the Sabbath. I looked it up. I, I read in the Bible where it says what you, can, what you can't do on the Sabbath, and it does not say you can't heal on the Sabbath. I even looked it up on Wikipedia. So it's completely reliable. And the synagogue leader was wrong. He was wrong. And what had happened is this, this group of, of uh, leaders called the Pharisees, which means the separated ones because they thought they were better than everybody else, um, they'd made up all these extra rules. Basically, the Sabbath laws were designed to stop people making food, building houses, making money, and one other thing. Four basic functions of, of life. The laws, as you read them, within the context of what was going on there, were designed for God to say, these four things, I've got them. You know, sometimes we say to God, it's okay, I've got it. But actually God says to us, I've got it. I've got it here, don't worry. But there was nothing about healing. So there's a similarity there. The synagogue, in theory, was a place of healing. Just like the church gathering is a place of healing, yes? Great. He also points out that we look after the people or the things that we care for on the Sabbath day. So if you've got a pet... Uh, the cows in, in this case obviously weren't pets, they were livelihood. But um, if you've got a, a pet, or if you're a, a farmer and you've got animals that you look after, or, somebody keeps chickens. Who keeps chickens? Nobody keeps chickens? Somebody keeps chickens. What? Where do all these eggs come from then if we don't keep chickens? Okay. Well, you're going to look after your livestock. If you're a dairy farmer, you can't say, uh, sorry, sorry girls, Sabbath day, you don't get milk today. Believe me, you're going to have some very, very uncomfortable cows. Um, and even in, in one of the passages, it says, if you've got a son, 
who falls into a pit, you're not going to leave him there. You're not going to say, uh, it's like, if, uh, let's say it was Johnny Bond. So, you know, Johnny Bond falls into a pit and his mum and dad say, great, see you tomorrow. Um, or hang on until sundown, we can get you there. Um, do you want something to eat while you're waiting? You know, it wasn't like that. You got in immediately and did something. And what Jesus points out is, these are children of God. This daughter of Abraham, which is just another way of saying, this is one of your family. This is one of your family. I'm ashamed by the number of times I can remember that I have avoided praying for somebody in my church family. I'm really sorry. And the reason I've avoided it is, well, there are all kinds of reasons. And I recognize the hardness and the unbelief underneath that hardness, because that's what unbelief does in us. It causes hardness. I recognize that in my heart. And I'm trying to, to change. Well, I'm asking God to change me. And, and where that meets resistance, then I'm, I'm trying to give way. Um, it may be true for some of you. I don't know. Uh, none of you are as bad as me, but it, it, there may be some truth in it for you. Jesus challenges a religious culture to bring a kingdom culture. We have to challenge our own culture to bring a kingdom culture. We don't have as much of the culture of God's kingdom as we can have. And so if we want more, we have to challenge the, the culture that is in place. God's heart is filled with compassion for those in need. And when our compassion resonates with his, we see his kingdom come. One of the ways that God speaks to us is through our emotions. Compassion, sorrow, anger, happiness, grief. The reason we have emotions is because we're made in God's image. God has those emotions. You can find it throughout Scripture. In this set of circumstances, compassion is particularly important. We will do well to pay attention to our emotions. I meant to say this right at the, the start, but uh, forgot, basically. But um, I want you to pay attention to the, the way your affections have been drawn this morning. I want you to draw, uh, I want you to pay attention to that. Because the way God speaks is, in a moment of some kind of encounter... God will allow us to, to see something or to feel something and we need to learn to pay attention to it there and then because it may not stay with us. Not because God is mean but because the Spirit is like the wind and the wind blows where it will and you can't tell where it's going to blow. So, for instance, and I try not to embarrass anybody through this, but when we're praying for, for Johnny, and I was just sitting there just thinking, this is great. Um, something came into my mind, which I know is for the whole Bond family, so I've just got something to share with you afterwards. I'm not going to share it publicly, but I paid attention to it. It was, it was a, a, an image, and it came from nowhere, and I just looked at it in my mind, and I thought, oh, that's unusual. Now, I could have done two things. I go, well, that's a bit weird. You know, maybe as Scrooge said, an undigested bit of beef. There's more of gravy than of the grave about you. 
which for me is one of the greatest lines in English literature, but uh, I, I could bore you because you're all going, move on, Graham. Okay. It was, it was a strange image, but it stayed with me, and I, I just thought, I know I need to, to pass that on. I need to say something about this. And, and then it, it's kind of lodged there until I deliver it, and, and it, will prob- it may stay, it may go. But the same is true with our emotions. You might have seen something this morning that's captured your emotions in some way. It's your affection, really. It's not an emotional response. It's not as if we start crying. Uh, and that would be... Some people will, will get that from time to time. Normally, I don't think that's the way it works. I think it's just affections is a better word. Our affections are sometimes captivated by something. And we might go, oh, I wonder why that is. And it could be that the Holy Spirit is just saying, Graham, pay attention to this circumstance or this person and do something about it. Maybe even go and, and just say, hey, uh, um, you okay? Is there anything I can help you with? Is there anything I can pray for? Now, that might happen to you here on a Sunday morning. It might happen to you tomorrow when you walk into work. It might happen to you whenever you go to Tesco, Sainsbury's, Liddy, Oldie, Little, Oldie, Marks and Spencer, I miss anything out. Um, Safeway, uh, uh, international stores, um, uh, <laughs> now all the corner shop. Um, just let's, let's fine-tune our sensitivity. Let's get tuned in to the Holy Spirit's channel and recognize what's going on. You see, this is the way I think it worked for Jesus. I think Jesus saw these people... And his affection was touched. I think he saw this woman who was bent over for 18 years and his affection was touched. And I think this is what happens. Our affection, which is increasingly in tune with the Holy Spirit, our affection gets touches. And what the Holy Spirit does is, oh, great, there's somebody listening. I'll give them more information. So the Holy Spirit releases more information. And I think the Holy Spirit released the information to to Jesus about how to deal with the problem. Jesus didn't know everything all the time. I haven't got time to prove that, but it's true. Okay? And so he knew instantly because he was so tuned into the Holy Spirit, uh, because the Holy Spirit filled him. And he was God and all that kind of thing. And therefore he responded. But it's a model for us to follow. The reason that it's all written down and preserved through 2,000 years is so that you and I can read it and go, oh, that's easy. We'll just do it like that. I think that's what following Jesus means. There are some more similarities. Both were completely and instantly healed. It says the woman was instantly healed. It doesn't say specifically in that passage that the man was healed. But I can't imagine him standing there looking really, really infirmed and Jesus praying for him, and then being happy that he... And Jesus said, oh, it'll be probably tomorrow, okay, or maybe later tonight. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. If I pray for somebody and they're healed 24 hours later, I'm thrilled. But it's generally not the model that we see Jesus doing. Jesus got... Uh, Jesus helped people to receive there and then what they needed. And that can be a, a problem for us at times, because we expect that all the time. Now, it... It is something we should have an expectation for, but we also have to remember we're, we're on a journey. So if it doesn't happen, then... <coughs> okay, let's just, let's just see what does happen. 
That's why we get people to pray two or three times. Because it's doing two things. One, it's getting over your pride. You mean I've got to pray again? Oh, no. Um, which, and, and us dealing with that releases the power of, of God more. But it's also helping to build faith in that person if we do it well. Okay, uh, most of the healings, most of the, the spectacular healings, and I, well, by spectacular I mean things that have happened like that, that I have seen personally have not happened the first time I prayed with somebody. Most of them it's taken three or four attempts. And sometimes that's been all at the same time because I've just felt determined to press through and see something happen. And other times it's been over a period of time. Um, it does, does happen occasionally just like that. It's great when it does. It happened with my mum. My mum was not a Christian. And Anne and I prayed with her once. And she was healed, sitting on a settee, watching the television, of a bad back that had plagued her for years. She was healed instantly. First thing she did, because we lived in a pub, she went into the bar and told everybody. It was brilliant. Okay. The New Testament standard is all who came to Jesus were healed. We should expect the same standard. We won't always see the same standard, but let's have, let's have a goal to aim for, yeah?